we are. The sun is shining. My hay fever is absolute peak sniffle and snuffle. However, despite all of that, we've got even better things to bring you. And that is yet another one in our long running series of financial wellbeing podcast. Hello, my name's David Lloyd, but you knew that as soon as you heard my mellifluous tones booming across the airways at you. Enough from me. Who's with me today? It's Chris Bud. Chris, who are you? Morning, everyone. Peak sniffle and snuffle. That sounds like a legal practice, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm all right, David. I'm not the best person in this household. Um, the best person in this household is currently sitting outside because I'm having a little barbecue tonight. I'm having a few friends over and I got some sea bass out of the freezer and I put it on uh, on a little table we have in the garden to defrost. And um, then I walked out only to see no sea bass on the table. A very happy looking little Westie. <laughs> You just oh, a lot. Oh, <laughs> I did this a similar thing with the tenderloin of pork many years ago, and my dog managed to get it from the from the kitchen work surface and took it out and buried it. I, oh, I well. take I take I take full responsibility. I put it in a silly place, but uh, she was just looking so happy for it with herself. Oh <laughs> really uh, well, I'm glad I'm not the one has to pick up her poo later on. <laughs> <laughs> Right, enough of that. We're talking dog poo. We're only three minutes into the podcast. Talking of dog poo, Tomo, how are you? <laughs> Where do I go with that? Like, my eyes are absolutely on fire. So you'll notice that we recorded two on the same day. We're both suffering from hay fever still. Uh, uh, but I'm doing really well because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a golfer now who breaks oh. 80 around the golf course. <laughs> So have you done that again since last podcast then? Tom? No, no, no. Well, given, <laughs> given, given my, what I just said previously. No, but it was a past 72 and I went round to 79, the Holy Grail. It's very, I, very good. So you'll I, be in the next Ryder Cup team, basically. Well, I did I did actually get an email from uh, the new Live Invitational Tour. It was actually from Greg Norman himself. Uh, those of you who don't know, there's this uh, new... And he was saying, for God's sake, can you stop banging on about your one good round, yeah. is what Greg said, wasn't it, Tom? He said he was going to offer me a million pound sign-on deal. Just and he, to stop and he, talking about it. Just to stop talking about it. No, no. But obviously it, you, ethical person that you are, saying, no, I'm not going to take filth oil money, and therefore you've declined. Wow. You know, just think of the good that I could do the money. I'm, I'm, you know, and the family I'm sat, I'm trying to think of all these excuses these golfers are coming out with. This, well, but let's not get drawn in. Let's not get drawn in. Ethical introduction to what we're going to be talking about today uh, in is the indeed. podcast. Is it not, Chris? And that's why David gets the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Seamless broadcasting. But has he broken 80 before? <laughs> I once scored a net fifty-seven, actually. In the oh, first wow! Game. All right, okay, you, you you win, you win. I once I once scored six hole in ones on a um, on a crazy golf course in Western Supermare, and rang the bell at the end for a free game next time. There oh, you go, Kim, Kim Ilbud. <laughs> so today's podcast, David, let's get us back on track. Is all about giving, or to use the posh word for it, philanthropy. Philanthropy. So that to me sounds like the sort of thing that only the, the super rich do, whereas giving sounds like the sort of thing that I do. Yeah, quite exactly. That's why we're going to use the word giving. Well, we're going to try to use the word giving more than philanthropy, but it is the same thing. We're going to try to bring the idea of giving to life and to show people how giving is actually good for you. Um, a selfish thing to do. So something we should try and do a bit more of, I would suggest. Excellent. But before we go on to that very important topic, first of our two regular features, uh, no shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this is indeed the sort of advice that every investor should follow or whether it is, in fact, 
as transparent as the invisible man wrapped in cling film. So, Chris, what's today's it's, investment it's the wisdom? Them. It's the way he tells them. <laughs> it's, look, it, it's, it's quite good fun trying to find investment quotes and tips that are um, perhaps said with a benefit of hindsight. And it's also quite fun finding tips from famous people which frankly make themselves look a bit silly or the very best debatable. So on this episode, for personal reasons, I thought I'd turn my sights on Elon Musk. Right. So uh, uh, is he silly or is he debatable? Well, he's clearly a very, very wealthy man, isn't he? Uh, and uh, he's got the keen eye for innovation, which I always respect in somebody. Uh, he's always looking to try and do different things. He, he's done that space thing, hasn't he? Completely pointless way of taking super rich people into space. There's that, there's that underground transport idea of his, like the sealed vacuum tube to whiz people along very, very quick. Uh, we did discuss, I think, in the last podcast that he and the two other very rich guys in the world could actually put some of their money more usefully to ending world hunger and poverty. But of course, it's his money. He can do with it what he likes. And who am I to say that the man's an idiot? Not me. Never said it. <laughs> Tom, are you anything to add to that? Oh, do you know, the world needs people who are a bit out there. And and I, I look, this may, it may turn out that he's the biggest fraud in human history, but he strikes me as a man who's full of innovation, as, as David said. And and thinks a little bit differently to the rest of us. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that that if used in the right way can be incredibly positive. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that using that level of wealth to buy Twitter is the best way to use your money, but that's, that's again, his yeah. personal decision. And there was some, some, some questionable stuff where he would buy, I don't know if it was Bitcoin, but a version of Bitcoin and then tweet about how great it was. And then when the price went up, sold it again, that was a little bit, but look, I mean, he, he is clearly, clearly a clever, clever guy. Um, and some of his choices I would I would question, but I thought it might be quite fun. The trouble is, the trouble is, guys, news is most of his quotes are actually really quite sensible and clever. Mm. Yeah, mm. I accept that. But there's got to be a reason then. Why is he? You know more about this stuff than I do. Why is he the richest man in the world? Well, uh, I think uh, he got lucky with one and then he used his money to make more money. I think that's probably an element of truth in it. But look, this is where this quote comes in, because he made his first money 50 million or whatever it was from paypal so he, he's not an he's not an inventor he's an entrepreneur he's a guy who has some money that invests in things right i think it's important that we don't we should lord the inventors are far more than we should lord the investors but anyway when he got that money from paypal this is the quote that i want to get your thoughts on he said and and Tommy, your, your investment and an analytical investment brain to this one he said I thought to myself, what are some of the other problems that are likely to most affect the future of humanity? I invested not from the perspective of what's the best way to make money. Hmm. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So that, that I guess that touches on the whole area of ethical investing. Tomo, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I actually think, not. I don't think he's necessarily done it. Has he done it to improve the world? Or has he done it because putting it through that lens of you know, what's likely to affect the future of humanity means that if he nails that and does that really well, humanity is really going to need his product. So I, I don't double know. Bubble, isn't it? Double winner. Yeah, double winner. Yeah, win-win. And I guess that does go to ethical investing. Um, perhaps, you know, drill down if, if, a, if, if ethical investing 
ESG investing, lots of different words. And I think we're going to have a series on this that at home debunks some of this. It's done properly. Um, and impact investing is done properly. There is absolutely a way that that humanity can be improved. But at the same time, there could potentially be a financial reward. But it sounds as though we went for the improving humanity and hoping that the success of that will probably lead to some money. And it clearly has for him. Um, but I'm kind of second guessing his motives there a little bit. Yeah, and I guess it still raises the basic ethical question is, yes, he's done very well for himself. What's he done for everybody else? Well, you, uh, you'd argue that Tesla with electric cars is is good for good for the planet. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I thought that was actually quite a, a smart way of looking mm. at life. You've got lots of people who just look at something, kind of make money out of it and don't care about the effect on the world or the planet. But he's used the effect of the world on the, on the planet to make money from it. And, and that's how capitalism works at the end of the day, isn't it? Well, indeed, that is the case. So anyway, we've put some various points of view towards there. And I think on this one, given there's a divergence of views on the panel, dear listeners, we're going to leave you to decide whether or not uh, the, these words of uh, Elon Musk are no shizzle Sherlock uh, or something else entirely. So uh, <laughs> they're also involving shizzle or a derivative thereby of that <laughs> word. I've got to remember, so the no shizzle Sherlock is like, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Well said. No, no, no. No shizzle Sherlock means, duh, of course, obvious. It's mm -hmm. like a hindsight, you know, um, I made money because of this and everybody else should do it. You would get yeah, duh, of course, no shizzle yeah. Sherlock. So is it a no shizzle Sherlock or a load of shizzle Sherlock? That's for oh. you to decide. <laughs> he's, he's, he's on fire, Tomo. He is, isn't he? <laughs> Anyway, enough of this. Otherwise, we're going to start resort to fisticuffs, uh, which is going to be difficult because we're all in different places. Right. OK, coming on to something that we can all agree on, which is that Tom Morris is the meanest man in the world. Uh, and the great thing about that, talking about spreading the joy and ethically investing in other people, uh, Titus Tobo, as we know and love him, is always happy to pass on that meanness to other people and give us fantastic tips to how we can save a little bit of money. But before we get his tip for today, Chris, have you got anything for us? I, I have, actually. I've got, I've got one from a website called Save the Student. Strange title for a website, but anyway, um, Save the Student. And uh, they had a really good, I thought this was a really lovely tip. They say, if you're doing some shopping, maybe on eBay or what have you, try misspelling the thing that you're looking for. So if you type in Samsung, rather than Samsung, Samsung, um, you'll find loads of items that no one is bidding on. And I had a little go at this, type in Samsung, and you get loads of mobile phones really, really cheap with no bidders. <laughs> I did have a go at trying this with Fender Stravacaster, but all that happened, I brought up an app that posted guitar solos onto social media, so that didn't work quite Here soon. we go, G give me some ideas for tailor-made golf clubs. So taylor um, mind how about um, pong you can't you can't really miss taylor pong mate, instead of ping yeah yeah <laughs> brand. it reminds me of the story about the guy uh, in a in a selling fishing material and and a guy walks into his shop and he said look i just want to point out are you aware that the sign outside your shop says fishing tickle on sale here and the guy says i absolutely am loads of people come in to tell me that and do you know what they nearly always buy something <laughs> brilliant brilliant yeah very good Right, okay, so um, come on then, Chris. Convince me, we're moving on to the main event now, 
that giving my money to other people... Imagine missing out the real main event. The only reason anybody actually listens into this podcast and you've oh, just right, missed okay, it out. Right, sorry. No, we're not, we're not editing that. That mistake is staying in. It wasn't a mistake. It was a deliberate thing to build tension. <laughs> so just when you thought, just when the listeners were going, oh, no, he's not giving Tom the opportunity to give us his mean thing. You thought I was going to move on. You thought I'd forgotten, didn't you? But actually, <laughs> I haven't. I just missed read my script. Tomo, what have you got for us today? <laughs> really stinging eyes. It's damn hay fever. Oh. So, um, so maybe remember last last episode, uh, Tammy had sent across some great tips. If you don't know Tammy, she's the lady who edits this podcast and quite frankly does the real producing and I just pretend I do. Um, and she said, I think this is quite a useful one. So we're in the cost of living crisis is, is we're aware that we're in that for a lot of people. So what we need to do is extend the five second rule to 10 seconds. So the five second rule is when you drop something on the floor, food, and as long as you pick it up within five seconds, it's okay to eat it. Extend that to 10, save food waste. You see, when I was a kid, it was three seconds. That's inflation for you, isn't it? And not only will you save food waste in, in that other way, but also because it increases the chances of you getting food poisoning, you therefore will not be able to eat anything for the next day, and therefore you'll save even more money on food. And in this country, we had the NHS to look after us. Effectively uh, free of charge. Going, well, but there yeah, you let's go. not get onto that. So there you go. Five-second rule is now the 10-second rule, and I Brilliant. shall be enacting that in my household. I like that. Well, I'm not coming around to yours for dinner. Not that you've ever invited me, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Now, uh, you've already heard a false start to this one. So we'll, do, we'll, we'll come at it again. Come on, Chris. Convince me that giving my money to other people is going to make me happy. Okay. So let's get into this topic of giving. Um, and I'm going to start with a little quiz for you and our listeners. Um, an ultra high net worth person is defined as being someone who has assets of more than 10 million, okay? So how much do you think ultra high net worth people give to charity each year? Now- This is in pounds, okay? Yeah, okay. Well, we're talking about the uh, um, the richest man in the world in the last podcast, Warren Buffett. And of course, we established then that he gives 99% percent By the time of his death, yes. By the time of his death. So whether that can be done on an annual basis. So I'm going to have a little stub of this asset to more than 10 million pounds percentage number of pounds or percentage, Chris. Pounds. Pounds. pounds, number of pounds. I'm going to say somebody with 10 million would give away 50,000 pounds, 50,000 a year. Tomo, uh, higher than that, lower than that. I think I'm going to go lower than that. I, I, have, a, I have a horrible feeling that it can be far less generous than that. Um, <sighs> I'm going to go with 10 grand. 10 grand. Is that all? 10 million pounds of assets a year. I did this at a talk recently of pension experts, of, of, of executives of pension companies, and their guesses were 100,000, 300,000, 50,000, 75,000. The actual amount, the amount on average, this is according to the Charities Aid Foundation UK giving report in 2021, the average amount given was 588 pounds. Well, all I can say is if you're listening to this and you've got £10 million and you're that person, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I remember, this is an average, right? So J.K. Uh, Rowling, who gives many, many, many millions, Lord Sainsbury and his trust fund alone gave £13.6 in the last 10 years. So this is an average. So it means that the vast majority of people with £10 million or more in assets give nothing to charity. 
But as we know, and as we discussed again in the last podcast, is that is that the more money you have, the more money you can accumulate. And therefore, I guess in some way, the danger is the mindset becomes, well, I want to hang on to this so I can make more. And I'm not going to give it away. I'm sure we're going to be digging deeper into this. We certainly will be. We certainly will be. So, Tombo, I gave you a bit of homework here and um, asked you to look at a few trends of giving. So we've got some stuff for us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Before I before I touch on it, um, there is a reason why I guess slightly lower than David is I was told to go go and have a look at some research for the podcast. But this is an area I don't want you to know because I'm going to ask you about it. So I kind of guess that it would be a bit lower, but 500 quid. That's um, OK. And, that's and very you know, low. The, the, the lowest paid give the most in percentage terms of their of their assets. Anyway, go on, Tom. Not at all surprised by that. So, right. Strap yourselves in. I've got a bunch of numbers to share. I'm going to look at some numbers on a piece of paper because I don't have the mental capacity to remember. <laughs> Tomo, you have very limited mental capacity anyway. We've always it is quite. So look, here we go. In 2020, the total amount donated to charities was 11.3 billion. And that's in the UK. Up from 10.6 billion in 2019. Right, good, positive. Just to put that into context, the UK government spends 42 billion on defence, 33 billion on transport, and 9.6 billion on the Justice Department. And 36 billion on PPE that doesn't work, but that's another story. <laughs> and donor contracts and cronyism. And that, does, that does put in perspective, 10 billion a year into charity puts into perspective how much you know the government actually does spend on various different things, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. And that's not with standard debt. Obviously, a large chunk of government spend is on things like the benefit system and the healthcare system Indeed. as well. So, so that kind of does fall into that, I guess. Um, however, this increase in money being donated has actually come from 1.6 million fewer people, which I find actually quite surprising, which means that there is a decrease in the number of people who... Um, a number of people who are given, but the people who are given are given a bit more. So whether that's, I, I don't know what's behind that, but there's some more numbers here to, to, to have a think about. In percentage terms, 69% of the population gave something to charity in 2016. By 2020, this had fallen to 62% of the population. So a 7% drop. This means that 38% of the population gives give absolutely nothing to charity each year. Now, I I don't know why those numbers, I'm sure there are reasons built into that. We don't, I don't know what part of society isn't gifting, whether that's the wealthy end or, or the less well-off end. We know that we're in the midst of, of tougher times. We've had coronavirus in that period of time. So pinch of salt with that perhaps, but as a nation, a percentage of us giving is reducing. Now, moving to some stats from the National Philanthropic, I can never say this word, Philanthropic, if I said that right? Philanthropic. Thank you. Trust giving. website. Just say, just say giving, Tom. The National Giving Trust website. <laughs> giving actually goes up with age, which I guess is expected because you'd assume that people start to have more assets as they get older. So 49% of 16 to 24-year-olds donate compared to 65% of over 65s. And there's a lot more 65-year-olds as well. So that's that's a positive. Animal welfare is the most popular type of charity to be supported. 
followed by children then medical research and 20% of all donations go to religious organizations. Interestingly, given the importance to well-being of planned giving, which we know about and we'll touch on in a moment, only 28% of people give on a regular basis. So a lot of it's quite reactionary. So 51% of those who give do so sporadically and 14% give rarely. And interestingly, women are more likely to give regularly. Still got more. Still got more. I told you no, to it's good stuff. In. No, it's good. I'm, I'm really interested in this, Tomo. According to the Beacon Collaborative, 20% of millionaires in the UK have donated more than 1% of their wealth each year since 2016. So they're obviously the ones who are... You imagine that average is 500 and 20% of the millionaires are giving 1% of their wealth. That, I think, means that around 80% of millionaires are giving bugger all. Excuse my French. But then that might be down to a few factors such as, you know, is there wealth in housing rather than liquid cash? So there, I'm sure there is, there is caveats to that. Don't let them off the hook. Okay. <laughs> so there are the numbers. So there are... We're given as a nation about two thirds of us are giving and arguably at the wealthier end, not necessarily the proportions we would expect. But because there's a lot of numbers, let's move on to a bit of fun. There's some notable donors who are actually out there and we know are giving or helping to raise a lot of money for charity. So there was recently a list, I think, by the Sunday Times that listed who had donated as a proportion of their overall wealth. And like I said, it's a little bit of a funny number because it also includes what they've raised, not simply what they've donated personally. So the number one was the footballer Marcus Rashford. So he donated and raised 20 million for all those efforts towards children in food poverty. You know, the whole uh, summer school meals and all of that that went on. But his overall wealth is 15 million. So it suggests that he's given a lot of his personal wealth and income towards this, but is also due to his fundraising activities and getting out there and quite frankly, putting his head above the parapet, he's managed to raise a lot of money with that as well. This might surprise some people because we all know about Marcus Rashford. The Liverpool captain, Jordan Henderson, donated and raised four million pounds. And he's worth somewhere in the region, I think. Well, I think it's similar, similar amounts to Marcus Rashford he's worth. So again, that's somebody who goes under the radar. He doesn't tell the world he does this. But somebody's found out and put him on a list. So good on you, Jordan Henderson. Then we're coming to the guys who I think are doing more of their gifting out of their wealth rather than fundraising. So Pink Floyd guitarist David Gilmore gave away 16.6 million. Although he is worth 120 million, so I'm sure he'll be okay. Um, Elton John donated 19 million. Still got 356 million to live on, but you know, good on him. He's he's actively trying to donate. And Lord Sainsbury and family have consistently been one of the biggest givers. And they've gifted a whopping 3.6 billion, 3.6 billion over the last 20 years. Oh my word, I think I may have gone overboard on the homework. Sorry. No, listen, I think that's really interesting stats there. I think we can. Obviously, stats don't always give us the full picture, but it does tell us a lot. And I think the two the two footballers you quoted there, very interesting. So you've got Marcus Rashford, huge big news story about him. I mean, he managed to change government policy by, by shaming them into actually doing something about 
a really important social issue. Uh, but then again, you've got Jordan Henderson just chipping away in the background there. I think there are an awful lot of people like that, actually. I mean, we've had a go earlier about, or I've had a go, let's be fair, uh, to people that have got a lot of money and, and choose not to give any of it away. But let's give respect to those people that, that do and, and and whether they do it publicly or whether they do it privately isn't the matter it's the fact that they actually do it um, now let's move on then to think about why people don't give to charity and I, I wonder if concern about where the money goes might be an issue you, you hear a lot of people complaining that all the money goes on admin and not to the causes you know, the big debate about should you give money to somebody on the street because they might just go and spend it on drugs or drink uh, to my mind that's not an argument. You either give them money and want to give them money, it's up to them what they do with it, uh, in, in, in my opinion. But obviously there is a concern there for a lot of people. Hey, look, guess what? Got some more stats. Ah, oh, Scato it, is the man. It, he might be I mean got, with money, but he's generous with his stats. I am indeed. If I've got any friends listening to this, they know exactly what I'm like with stats. Right, ball. That's why I like cricket, really. Sad, isn't it? Um, did you know 79 is a stat? And that's, that right? what shot, about- that's, what, that's what I shot around a golf course recently. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do have some stats. And look, there's no doubt running a charity requires some costs. There are costs involved with running any entity. Um, but I've got some statistics here. So for some very small charities and some of the very largest charities, the amount of their income that goes to the causes they represent is about 60%. And this is according to a report by Channel 4 News. Um, and that they're really the outliers, the sort of really small and the really large. But for most charities, from sort of that medium to upper, upper end, the amount that goes to the charity and the actual causes is about between 71% and 74%. So it sort of goes to those causes, the rest of it goes on admin, fundraising, because that costs money to actually get the funds in in the first place. Um, so that actually sounds pretty reasonable to me. Things take, you know, people need to be paid a, a living wage often to, to, to do these jobs. And I'll furthermore add this, less than 1% of charities employ any staff who earn more than £60,000 a year. Mm. Now, it made me think, actually, that when Just Giving first came in, I know there are other organisations, there's Virgin Money Giving and a few others, so I don't want to particularly single out Just Giving, but they were, I think, the first. And they said, yeah, you give the money to us and we'll give it to the charity, but we will take a little cut from that. And at first I thought, well, that's not right. Why should they take money that's going to should be going to the charity? But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, actually, if they weren't doing this, if they weren't making it easy for me to give money, I probably wouldn't be giving the money in the first place. Therefore, as long as they keep their costs to within a reasonable amount, which I believe they do. And certainly my amount of regular charitable giving since things like Just Giving started off um, has risen Enormously, mm. partly because, as you pointed out with one of your great stats earlier, I, I'm a little bit older, I'm a little bit better off, but also because it's easier for me and I know where it's going and the money is accountable. So I certainly don't object uh, to people taking a, a reasonable amount in terms of uh, admin costs in order to do that. So we've Can I put a bit of a spin on this? Yeah. I'm really sorry because I'm, I'm taking a lot of the airways up. Is whenever you gift as an individual, you're able to claim some tax relief back on that. You may have seen gift aid. So you get 25% added by the government. And if you're a 40% payer, you can get more. Well, maybe the way to think of it is my actual pounds and pence money going to the charity covers the actual cause. And the tax relief that's been added by the government 
effectively pays for the admin and running of the charity. So maybe that's one way to look at it. Well, that's a really good point. And the other thing for me as well is that because most of my giving, not all of it, is done through just giving or similar organisations, when I do my tax return at the end of the year, I can look down and I can straight away see what money I've spent on charitable giving. And straight away, I can put that back on my uh, tax statement, which means I get a little bit of relief on that as well. So it, it, it works very well all, all way, always round. OK, so look, we've peeled away some of the reasons why people might be uh, reluctant to give to charity. Any other reasons that there might be? Do you know what? Um, I really want to keep this in. What is this? Twen we're in June 2022. So we are, what, almost two and a half years through the pandemic. And Chris is on mute. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's because he was falling asleep during all your stats bits. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't blame him. I've, I think we've lost half of our listeners. Sorry, guys. It's just, as well, just as well, I didn't hear what I was actually saying. Just as well, I was on mute. Look, so I, Chris, I, I, what, what other reasons might there be why people are reluctant to give to charity? So, um, at one of the IFW online conferences we did over the IFW was Initiative for Financial Wellbeing. By the way, um, if there's any financial advisors listening to this that aren't members of the IFW, it's only £15 plus VAT a month. Get your arse in gear and go and sign up. Anyway, at one of the online IFW conferences, we had a talk from a lady called Emma Beeston, who is a philanthropy advisor. So interesting. Uh, and one of the things that really struck me was that she said people feel embarrassed to bring up the subject of giving with their advisor. They in America, I think it's probably a fairly OK thing to do, if not, a, you know, something you show off about. But in this country, it's something people are embarrassed by. So if you're a financial advisor or an accountant, clients want you to bring up this subject. They want you to facilitate the conversation. So if you don't bring it up, the client probably won't and they won't get round to giving. Yeah, that's a very English attitude, isn't it? And as you say, I think in America, philanthropy is a, is a very conspicuous thing to do. They're very open about talking about how much they earn and what they do with it. And you can boast how much you give away. Or even if it's not boasting, actually, that's perhaps a bit pejorative. You're proud of what you give away and you're not ashamed to talk about it. Whereas in this country, we're much more coy about discussing what we earn and what we do with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that, that's why it's so important that advisors in, include charitable giving in the financial plans that they create for clients. You know, it's a really good example of how financial well-being should be incorporated into a financial plan. So I've got uh, I've got a little little maybe slightly left field thought um, or, or out of field thought on this, but I think there's a, a societal change that might just give us a, a hint at a possible solution. We are a much more secular society now than we've been for many years. I've done, got my own stats here, Tomo. UK church membership has gone from 10.6 million in 1930 to 5.4 million in 2013. It's now below 10% of the UK population who regularly attend church. Now, one thing that organised religion provides is a set of values, a moral code by which we should live, which you kind of, you know, metaphorically buy into. And without that guidance from spirituality, from religious leaders, where does our moral code come from? Who provides the image to which we grow up wanting to become? Is it the government, sporting heroes, TV or movie stars, YouTube influencers? Lots of possible answers, but none of them, or very few of them, Marcus Ratchford and Jordan Henderson are clearly the exceptions. Very few of them provide much of a moral standard. If you're not going to church on a regular basis, hearing the, it is easier for the camel to pass with the iron needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, message, type message, it's likely that giving is going to slip down your priority list. Just a thought. 
I think it's a very good thought, Chris. And I, I had a quite a strict religious upbringing, actually, which I turned my back on in my teens. But I think a lot of the things that I learned during there, the basic moral values that you just talked about, I think have stood me in pretty much good stead over the over the years. And I think there's another good point as well when we talk about moral leadership. And there is certainly an absence of moral leadership uh, at the top of the government in this country at the moment. And I don't think that's setting a very good example to other people. However, that's perhaps straying a little bit too far into party politics, so I won't go any further with it. So how about we give people good reasons about why they should give their money to charity? So I'm going to just chip in with one little thing before we let Tomo to get into the principles of financial of, of um, giving, getting joy from giving. Um, taxation has got to be part of this. Uh, some more stats here. So there's nothing wrong with tax avoidance. OK, very always get mixed up these two. Tax avoidance is just using the rules that are available to reduce tax. Tomo touched on the, the giving. Uh, what's it called, Tomo? When you give, you get uh, gift aid. Gift aid. Thank you. Uh, so nothing wrong with that whatsoever. They are things, uh, tax incentives put out by the government for you to the, make the most of to encourage behaviour. I quite like the word mitigation. Yeah, there you go. Someone like Tomo, a chartered financial planner, will be able to help use the tax advantage to, you know, that are there for you. However, tax evasion is not paying tax illegally. And according to the House of Commons in 2019-20, the financial loss from tax avoidance, which is the legal, perfectly acceptable way of doing it, is was 1.5 billion. But the cost of tax evasion, the illegal way, was £5.5 billion pounds mm. lost. Wow, that's an enormous amount. And I'm reminded of a friend of mine quite a few years ago now, actually. He was not a hugely wealthy man, but he, but he had money. He refused on a point of principle to give money to charity. And his argument was, it's not down to me to make those individual choices. He said, this is what we should have an equitable taxation system whereby we are taxed fairly and that money is distributed on our half on our behalf by the government so that everybody benefits. But of course, this is the flaw in that argument, because if people then go out of their way, and it's often the people that should be paying more tax that go out of their way to avoid it, then that money never gets through to the right people. So uh, it's a bit of a conundrum there. It's a so, nuanced argument, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is indeed. So, Tomo, let's lighten the mood here. And, and, and perhaps you could explain to us the main principles of giving. Yeah, so if I think about giving to enhance our well-being, that's the whole point. So we're using our finances to improve our well-being. That's the whole thread of this, this podcast. Um, so the first one is gifting that is planned. So what we often find is when we gift sporadically, ad hoc, um, by the way, what I say here doesn't mean stop helping those that you see on the streets in desperate need. By all means, give them some money, buy them a sandwich, whatever it might be. But sometimes that's an assuasion of guilt. And it's actually quite short-lived in terms of uh, any well-being you know, it produces. However, you actually plan your giving and perhaps give monthly amounts or regular contributions or heck, reg, you know, planned regular time, not necessarily financial um, donations, that's proven to enhance your well-being. So think about something, this is the second one, with a personal connection. So if you're planning, you're gifting or you're gifting money on time with something that has a personal connection, that often is shown to boost your well-being and also something that you can see the impact with. So as I said, go back, get involved with it. You could, so there you go. If it's planned, has a personal connection and you can actually see the impact of it, 
you can combine those three, that has a real opportunity of boosting your well-being. Yeah, and that sounds like that would be something you could take time over, really sit down and consider it and prepare a proper plan for it. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's one of the things we try to do with clients at Ovation. And, you know, we're not there to force down, you know, values or anything like that. Everybody has their own value set. But when it comes up in open conversations that we have, we want to explore that with them. We want to help them use their money and connect their wealth with their lives both now and in the future with things that really mean something to them. And, and giving is absolutely part of that conversation, and it should be. Yeah, Chris, I, I remember you telling us uh, in a recent podcast, I can't remember which one, about that marvellous line from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, where he said that uh, joy is your reward for the giving of joy. That, I just love that phrase so much. And, and well, look, why not think about this selfishly? That's the whole point about financial well-being. It's about spending money to be happier. So if you can spend your money to do things, um, if anybody wants to read the most extraordinary story, there's a, a article, a blog called The Butterfly Effect on the IFW website. Um, do look it up by Kim Bendel. And if you want to see the joy that can come back to you from giving that story about the uh, a lady that bought a lifeboat for a small village in Ireland, honestly, absolutely amazing story. It's fantastic. So Show notes, Tammy. Show notes. <laughs> so we can call this, um, as a Dalai, Dalai Lama puts it in the Book of Joy, which, by the way, I bought multiple copies of and given it away to so many people. It's such a wonderful book. There you go, Thank Tom. You, Chris. Um, uh, the, um, oh, he talked about wise selfishness and foolish selfishness. And this joy of giving is very much in that wise selfishness category. To quote one wealthy person um, who talked about giving, not giving is bad for you. Wow, that's really interesting. Listen, we've touched on so many things here. We've uh, been a bit controversial, I think, come up with lots of different attitudes. And as uh, Chris said earlier, it's a, this is quite a nuanced argument. and There's lots of things that we need to consider. But given that uh, we're accepting that as people who are interested in financial well-being, we want to explore this more. Where can people go if they want to find out more about this? Two things I would suggest. Firstly, talk to your financial planner about building a philanthropy plan into your cash flow forecast. And if, as we have said before on this podcast, we're not, un, not uh, unwilling to be a little controversial. If your financial advisor doesn't know what cash flow forecasting is, you need a different financial advisor. You need one who's a financial planner who gets cash flow forecasting and can build a philanthropy plan into that. If you want to read some more about it, the book Giving is Good for You by John Nixon, N-I-C-K-S-O-N. John Nixon is a fantastic book on this topic. Right. And I'm sure that will be in the show notes, too. So, guys, really enjoyed today's chat. Well, I always do, but particularly enjoyed it today. And I hope you at home have enjoyed listening to it and that you'll join us another time when we bring you yet another one in our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.